Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. Singing the faith is an essential part of growing the faith. Let's talk about hymns. Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. Hey, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. What are we talking about today? We're going to be talking about something in, uh, I think, your uh, sphere of influence and interest. How's that? <laughs> That's exciting. Um, it is an Ask Ed question, but I notice on this sheet it says question for Leslie, and then it has a question mark next to it, and there shouldn't be a question mark. This is definitely <laughs> a question for Leslie. So uh, here's the question, which is a really good one. How about chatting about hymn tunes, which, of course, sometimes appear at the bottom of the hymnal when mm-hmm. a hymn is included. It mm-hmm. has all kinds of information, actually, there. Yes, it does. And uh, and different text settings. So often when there's a hymn, we'll see that there's a hymn tune name yeah. next to that. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Yeah, and I think that starting with that, there's a really important piece of information I think a lot of people will haven't thought about or haven't been exposed to, which is that when we talk about hymns, when we use the word hymn, we're actually talking about the hymn text. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. we say that it's a hymn, that's the the words that we're singing, um, right. that's the hymn. Then what the question is referring to, the hymn tune, mm-hmm. is you'll see at the bottom, sometimes at the top, depending on the publisher, um, a word in all caps, like Asmin, mm-hmm. Beecher. Uh, Kumranda. Kumranda is a great one. Yeah. <laughs> like two vowels <laughs> in the entire title. So those are the hymn tunes. So mm-hmm. those were written uh, by different composers than the poetry was written for the hymns themselves. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, they've been put together in this sort of matchmaking. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Um, and, but originally, this like... Um, relationship with one hymn tune and one hymn text always belonging together right. was not really the way it was originally intended, originally done. Mm-hmm. I think of like Amazing Grace. Like you're not going to, it's a, it, you're being very avant-garde if you're singing Amazing Grace to anything but Amazing Grace, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Um, but there's lots of tunes that we could mix and match to other texts and mm-hmm. sort of be more historical than when we open our current modern hymnal where there is tune, text, everything's joined together right. to create what we know in a modern sense as hymn. Yes. Capital H. <laughs> Got it. So that's really helpful. Um, you know, one of the things that I've discovered over the years, I would say especially more recently, is that a lot of people coming into the life of the church don't necessarily know what a hymn is. Sure. Uh, a hymn null with all that collection of that material. And then when you suddenly, you know, are cast into a service of worship and you find your place and then you open it up and here's this music, text, as you say, and then all that other information, it's a little daunting, isn't it? It uh, can be so overwhelming, especially as in modern, you know, modern days, not as many people are receiving. I won't start on this rant, but basic (laughs) musical education. Right. So it feels like a whole language 
that is really confusing right. to people. It's like I tell my piano students, they wonder why they have to do music theory and learn music. And mm-hmm. I tell them it's like they're learning a new language, like they're having, they're getting this superpower. Uh-huh. And that superpower applies to so many things, including hymn singing. Right, <laughs> so, right. So, you know, so when they open a hymnal and they look, they see, you know, for every syllable, there's sometimes four notes. Mm. Well, is it obvious that you sing the top one? Right. It, Maybe not. If you're me, it's not. It's not, right? And so, you know, all those little things that we, uh, I take, certainly take for granted, uh, you know, 20 years into doing this now, um, it's, it's always so good to sit back and remember, it's not that obvious to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, that's a great point. So, you know, over the years, um, I have heard so many comments about hymns from people, of course, in my congregations, and people will have their favorite hymns, Mm -hmm. or they'll find that there's a hymn text that they love, but they can't stand the tune, or there's a beautiful tune that makes them weep uh, for reasons that they don't understand. So we're kind of all over the map in a way, right? Yeah, Uh, absolutely. And sometimes you'll see... uh, uh, one thing I've enjoyed doing over my years, I've attended a few sort of hymn festivals. Mm, mm-hmm. And one thing they I they did that I remember specifically when I was in school is we took a hymn text and over the course of a class set it to uh, multiple tunes. Mm. Some very joyful, some mm-hmm. very mournful and woeful. Mm-hmm. And it's and it, the, the textures and colors in the text that it brings out is... It, remarkable. Mm. And sometimes you sing one and you're like, this doesn't work at all because it's like a really happy text and a really mournful uh, tune. But at the same time, it, it, it colors it, you right. know. Right. And I think I, that's such an interesting, uh, such an interesting experiment right. to do. Uh, when I lived in Scotland many years ago, I attended the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. Right? So there were several hundred people gathered in one room, and uh, singing was a very big part of that. But what struck me was, first of all, they had no musical accompaniment. It was only the human voice. And someone uh, would stand up in front of, let's say, 500 people and say, we're going to sing Psalm 38 to the tune Benesson. And these people stood up as a body and sang. And so I didn't know what Psalm 38 (laughs) was, and I I sure didn't know what the tune was, but I was so enthralled by the sound of that singing. So it's a kind of case in point in terms of what you're talking about. You can take one text, in that case one psalm, and uh, they could have chosen probably 15 different hymn tunes, but the person that morning decided it was going to be the hymn tune named Benesson, and then they went ahead and sung that. So that's so exciting, and to have a group of people who have that for lack of a better word, institutional memory. Yes, and that, the familiarity. That, that library of, of musical resources in their hearts right, is right. Such, a, such a special thing. What you just said actually leads me into another fun fact, mm. which is that also right near the hymn tune, you'll mm-hmm. also find a set of numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, like for instance, 8.8.8.8 or mm. 8.9 or 8.10. Um often sort of in that similar uh, number range. Mm -hmm. What that is, is the number of syllables per phrase. Oh my gosh. Because as you can imagine, any, uh, not every music 
hymn tune has the same number of notes sure. per mm-hmm. phrase, and not every hymn text has the same number of syllables right. per phrase. So what's that? What that's giving you is like a key to, all right, this this tune has mm-hmm. this many. So eight on the first, nine on the second, eight on the third, nine on the fourth. There's right. usually four phrases. Yep. Um, and you can go to the back of your hymnal, and there's a metrical index, oh. is what it's called. And that metrical index tells you, okay, so you look up 8.9.8.9, and there will be a list. Oh, so you can mix and match. So you can mix and match to your mm. heart's content. It's a pick and mix. Um, and you <laughs> My can... favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a whole Swedish fish kick right now. Uh, and But you can find other tunes that will work with your text. Your text. Mm-hmm. Or other texts that will work with your tune because all of those live in the 8.9.8.9 world right. in my hypothetical example. Um, so that's also a fun thing you can do just on your own Sure, when you're having a nerdy night. There you go. <laughs> it's a little downtime. Let's see if we can match up a different tune with this hymn right? text. Share so it with fun. Leslie. Say, come so on, fun. do this. I would love that. I would love that. People are starting to recommend hymns to me too, which I'm loving. Oh, nice. I love that. So when they're recommending hymns, then you know these are hymns that really speak to them yeah. and they've they've caught their attention. Again, could be text mm-hmm. or tune or both. Yeah, I find also, so this congregation, uh, I'm not sure of the year, you'll have to tell me, they changed hymnals. When was that? So Round Hill Community Church uh, had basically made a decision to choose what's called the Chalice Hymnal. And that was just before my arrival. So we've been using it six years. Six years. Yeah. So... Before that, they were using the Pilgrim Hymnal. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe that's of a different uh, denominational history, right? Yeah, it grew out of the Congregational Church, okay. whereas the Chalice comes out of the Disciples of Christ Christian Church. Right. Yeah. So those two having sort of different lineages creates a different, mm-hmm. a different sense of things. And when the Chalice Hymnal was done, there were some um, sort of philosophies mm-hmm. given to that, uh, not only in terms of how, which hymns were chosen, how the hymns were chosen, but also some of the tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that's, I'll just go ahead and say, isn't my favorite about the Chalice Hymnal, musically, this mm-hmm. is a very like musically specific example, is that um, in playing hymns, um, one of the things organists and general musicians do is we embellish, right? Mm-hmm. So we will... Um, take the tune. Now, I want to be really, really, excuse me, really specific in saying when I'm talking about hymn tune, I'm not talking about the harmonies. Mm-hmm. The hymn tune literally just means the melody, melody the tune line. that we're singing. Mm-hmm. Over the years, they're harmonized either by a third party, by the original composer, but the tune is really the melody. Mm-hmm. So what we as organists can do, and so we have, you know, and there's there's sort of generally held rules about what hymns you can mess with and ones you can't. Mm. As a rule of thumb, I don't mess with the um, really, really beloved ones because mm-hmm. people can get a little, you know, they yeah. like it the way they There's hear it. There's a sound that they There's connect with. Exactly. And so you don't want to give them too much of a shock. You don't want to go a little out to left field. Um, or ones, for instance, uh, like A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that kind of hymn, it's harmonized in such a specific way, in such like a German, Lutheran way that I, I personally don't mess with it. That's mm-hmm. my choice. Um, but there are other hymns that are less, sort of in that middle ground mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you can change the harmonies, you can mm-hmm. add notes. And there's some 
um, approaches over the years that have become more and more common. So you add a little sharp here, you add a little flat here, you make mm. it a little, just give it a little interest, mm-hmm. right? You don't do it on every verse, but that's the important part. You don't do it on every verse. Uh-huh. And what the Chalice Hymnal did is it codified some of those choices so that it's written in the hymnal. Oh, I see. So that when... That really limits your ability. Exactly. So it's already coloring. Right. So I can't go back to beige and then make it chartreuse. Right. To continue my iffy metaphor. But we're starting at chartreuse. So I can't... I don't have anywhere to go. Interesting. Um, and so when my choir is singing it, my choir on the um, inside verses. So we have... Um, we do this like... Um, sandwiching when we sing hymns. We sing the first and last verse in unison, which means uh-huh. the choir is singing the melody. Yep. And we do that to support and encourage congregational singing. And then For the, people like me. For people like Desperate, you, down on the floor. We're just trying to help. Help us out. Help, we're reaching out with a hand. <laughs> uh, the inside verses we sing in harmony, mm-hmm. so which means that the sopranos sing the top line, yep. the altos sing the second, the tenors the third, and the basses the bottom line. Um and so we sing parts on that, which means they read all the inside harmony notes. But means when they've done that to the hymn and they've created these sort of jazzy moments, that means we're having a jazzy moment on every verse. Right. And sometimes mm. I just tell the choir, I'm like, just make that, just, no, just yeah. take out your pencils. You should see my choir's hymnals. They are well marked. Mar- well marked and well loved through all my different markings over the years. Um but that's sort of a, so I was going to say, so, so I, we call them sort of hymn treatments mm-hmm. is a term I learned from uh, the late, great Jerry Hancock, who's huh. well known for his uh, impro- teaching improvisation. And a lot of improvisation stems from hymns and hymn tunes. Mm. Um, often at organ concerts, you'll get, uh, especially with uh, a lot of the European organists, mm-hmm. you'll get, uh, they'll play a program of, you know, Amazing Bach, amazing Dupre, amazing Vidor, amazing Buxtehuda, what have you. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you'll see improvisation. Mm. And they'll walk up and they'll often hand that person a hymn tune as the oh. kernel from which an improvisation will begin. Got so it. This, all, this all comes from part of it. And a lot of what we do as organists and historically what we've done is... Uh, improvisations on hymn tunes. Now, if you look back at the the early 18th century, I think, and way before that, especially in Germany, when Bach was rolling around, you have, we have this whole book of um, organ settings of hymn tunes called the Orgelbuchlein, and, or organ book, right? Mm -hmm. And what that is, is in the German Lutheran tradition, they would announce a hymn, and then the organist would play or improvise mm-hmm. an entire improvisation on that verse. Now, hymn singing back then was very different to what we know now. It was every note was like a, a long, healthy, mm. like what we'd consider a whole note now. Mm-hmm. So like... Um, uh, I'm thinking of like, a mighty, a mighty fortress is our God. It would be like, bum. Oh, wow. Really slowed down. Really slow. And that was probably twice as fast as it really was because the Hmm. what what I've been told, and I'm sure someone can fact check me, is that hymn tunes back then weren't all known because a lot of new stuff was getting written back then. It was a vibrant, wild time for hymn tunes. Mm -hmm. So someone would 
So the organ would play the note. Everybody would sing, and then everyone would like would catch up. Okay. And then you'd hold it, and then they would play the next note, and then everybody would like catch up and sing it. So it was just like, great, <laughs> kind of wild way to teach a hymn. I think I just think back, and I'm like, hey, what? How? To me, that's just so interesting and yeah. like, to be a fly on the wall during that time when all these new hymns were being written and there was so much chaos in the religious world sure people were responding musically like they always do making political and socio socioeconomic statements through music and through art wow so do you think we're in a period of of him writing like that now or do you feel that we're in a sense just trying to make the you know, the reservoir of material that we have more accessible to people who are maybe coming to church for the first time. Yeah, I think I think kind of in both. Um, I, we're also a little bit in recovery. Oh, okay. Because the 70s and 80s were not kind times. Uh, they were, you know, I think in the way that I think of architecture, design hmm. from the 70s, 60s and 70s, I should say, the 60s yep. and 70s are of like a certain look and a certain uh, palette. Mm -hmm. The same thing is with hymns. Hmm. Um, And so a lot of those hymns that I personally are not to my taste got into hymnals Mm -hmm. because they were connecting with people then. Mm -hmm. I don't think they connect with people in the same way now. They feel a little retro. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we're in a period of kind of reconnection with the oldie goldies, mm. if you will, and finding mm-hmm. the new message in these hymns and tunes that have stood the test of time for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they have something universal to say to us and universal to support us. You know, I had a, a teacher once tell me, "You want if you want to know the theology of a church, look at the hymns they sing the most. Mm. Because those are the, the words that get into their hearts. Sure. Um, and those are the words that... The if, if a, you know I was I was um, told a story once of a family that was having a really tough time. They were in the hospital with a family member, and when there were no words to say at all, the family was gathering, and somebody just started singing "Amazing mm-hmm. Grace." Because mm-hmm. when there aren't words, our hymns give us the words. Right. Mm-hmm. And and in terms of of memory, right? So a lot of the times when you're um, if you're an actor, an easier way to learn your lines is to set them to music mm. because that accesses a different part of your brain mm-hmm. rather than just speaking them sure. repeatedly. Having the music opens up your brain to let more of your brain power mm-hmm. uh, help you mm-hmm. in remembering that. Mm-hmm. So when we're singing hymns, we're actually learning the words more deeply mm-hmm. than if we were speaking them in a prayer, mm-hmm. for example. Not that, of course, prayers are so important, um, but hymns also serve that really specific giving us words for our faith sure. kind of a way. Yep. Well, certainly, you know, I, I think this is an experience that's shared. I mean, I've walked away from a service of worship and there's been a particular tune or maybe a hymn that's actually lived with me all week. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I find myself kind of humming it and then recognizing, oh, yeah, we sang that on Sunday. <laughs> and it's still living with me. Yeah. So so I, from what I'm gathering, Leslie, we live in a time maybe of uh, opportunity that we have a chance actually to teach hymns to a new generation coming to the church. Mm-hmm. 
and which gives us uh, a way to appreciate them in a, in a whole new sense and to try to figure out how to link the energies, you know, theological energies in some of these hymns with the passions and questions and concerns that a whole new generation is bringing. Does that sound accurate? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, this summer we're playing around with some new new to us hymns. Mm. Um, and for the first Sunday of the summer, we're actually going. We actually sang. We're recording this before, but it's going to come out like way after. <laughs> Time is hard. Um, we sang a familiar tune, but with a new text. Oh, so great. playing with that mixing and matching so that we have something to hang our hats on musically, but then we get to explore a new text, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really exciting and also like a, a friendly ease in kind mm. of way. So I'm looking forward to to playing around with all of that this summer. Yeah, that's exciting. It is exciting. So I, I certainly know, you know, it's funny, when I have gone off to uh, campgrounds in the summer where, you know, maybe it's a church camp where there'll be hundreds of kids, it still impresses me to see how important singing is in these places. And quite often, it's a little like that Church of Scotland General Assembly. The kids just know these songs yeah. because they've been coming back year after year. And it sounds like that's kind of what we're after in our experience of being church. We want people to know hymns, hopefully know some of them so well that they're actually living in the memory bank, Mm -hmm. um, but have at least that core. As you're talking about, every church has its core, Mm -hmm. and then to expand it so that there's a vibrant energy there around singing and song that help us to live out our faith. Absolutely. And I think it's really fun for our members that have been around for a while, I think there's an element of them sharing their favorite hymns mm. with the newcomers. I yes. think they they love singing the hymns they love. They're like an old friend, mm-hmm. a cozy blanket. So they're happy to sing the hymns that they love and then also sharing those with the new members. And I sometimes, I think I take that for granted because mm. to me, I'm like, oh, a familiar hymn. Thank goodness. Right. We all kind of do that. We're like, okay, Phew. Yeah. You know, yeah, <laughs> this one I know how to play. <laughs> right. um, but at the same time, I think there's something really precious and beautiful in that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds wonderful. So we often end with a closing thought. Do you have a closing oh, thought no. for uh, for us in terms of hymns and or, or maybe a hope that you would share for us as we're enjoying these I, hymns? I do have a thought. I have a thought that um, I think about occasionally when people come to me with discomfort with a new hymn, Mm -hmm. which is that every hymn was a new hymn at once Mm. and someone had to give it a chance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're not going, you're not going to like them ever. Yeah. Um, But sometimes if you give it a shot, you Uh might find something that really connects with your heart. Maybe not at the beginning because sometimes, you know, the newness can uh, feel overwhelming sure, and can feel distracting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But if you give it a shot and try it a couple of times, I bet you might find something worthy of your 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 care in there. That's a great thought. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the members and friends of Round Hill Community Church. You can find more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org.